Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? My week has been rough. Of course, everybody knows I live in the great state of Texas. So I'm in Houston and we have been pretty much off work all week, which most people are like, oh, at least you got off work. Yeah, not when you don't have power, girl. So <laughs> we've been basically without power and um, a little bit of the ways we were without water pressure. We actually had water in uh, my house, but we up and went to my sister's house the first night, Monday. So Last time we were in Lake Austin because we were doing this little vacation trip that we cut short about a day because we wanted to beat the ice storm. And we came back Sunday night um, and we were fine here. Everything was cool, but we knew that the temperature was going to drop to like nine degrees overnight. Of course, we woke up and there was no power. I was like, great, there's no power. I wonder when it's coming back on. And so we sort of waited um, for a second because I'm like, surely the power will come back on. Like, this is just a freeze. At this point, it's like 28 degrees outside. So like, you don't lose power for an extended period of time because of cold weather. But after it didn't come back on around five, we went to my sister's house because there were literally no hotel rooms. We tried to book a hotel room um, at one of the Marriott in Katy, and it allowed us to book it. And we got there and they were like, sorry, no check in, no power. <laughs> so then we just went to my sister's house, went there for a day. It was completely uncomfortable, literally very uncomfortable. And um finally got a hotel room at the JW Marriott in the Woodlands, which is like a northern suburb of Houston. It's like an hour of downtown. So we went there and was very comfortable until Wednesday and then came back home to power only for it to go out a couple hours later. Oh, and so we roughed it out uh, that night because we didn't have, it wasn't below freezing and there was no other hotel rooms and I was not about to go and be uncomfortable again at my sister's house, to be perfectly honest. So we just roughed it out and it came back on around midnight. Thank God. So since that time, we've been under a boil water advisory with low water pressure still 
Even to this day, still, we have to boil our water and we have low water pressure. So I don't understand what's going on in the state of Texas. I know that in 1994, they voted to basically succeed from the rest of the nation in terms of the power grid. And so we have our own power grid, which makes it very much so cheaper for the state to supply energy. And there's all these competing companies for bids for a certain amount of energy on the grid, but it's not cheaper for us. So it's not like my electricity bill is cheaper here versus when it w- when I was in Indiana. It's probably cheaper for the actual power companies, um, not cheaper for me. Um, but that means they don't have to, they don't have any national oversight. That means anytime we get extreme weather, like, oh, extreme heat even, and you know, it can get over a hundred degrees here or extreme rain or a hurricane warning. We can lose power. <laughs> I've been here for what a little over a year and have lost power now twice, but never this long. So, um, yeah, Texas, get it together. Question. Why didn't you just pack up and go to Cancun? You know what? Because I am not a straight up idiot. First of all, this man, um, you know, Ted Cruz should just be just ashamed of themselves. Like AOC comes down and raises three point five million dollars for for relief here. She's coming to the storm. And he's like, yeah, my 12-year-old wanted to go on vacation. And she was like, you know, why can't we go somewhere warmer? And, you know, it's cold outside. The schools were going to be closed for a week. So, you know, to be a good dad, I wanted to go ahead and take my kid on vacation to somewhere warm and make sure my family was warm. Screw the fact that the rest of the Texans that have voted you into office don't have any power or running water. And people are lining up to get water in some parts of the city from a spigot. Like, but you want to go on vacation right now. Oh, okay. That's just dumb. He'll probably get voted back in. The bad thing is, even if he doesn't get reelected, which he probably, I don't even know if he's going to try to go up for it. Well, he is. He, he's talking like that. Come he on will. now. He will. But even if he doesn't win, some other Republican will win. Of course. Just saying. Of course. Yeah, I mean. Because, you know, everything's <laughs> bigger in Texas, including the stupidity. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say that being a part of the Republican Party is like bad because I'm sure that we have listeners that are Republican as well. But I do think that there's something to be said about being an extreme Republican that doesn't understand or identify with your constituents. Correct. Um, that's what I have uh, issue with. But I digress. I don't think that it's necessarily wrong to be a Republican, but I will say that I I, if you are a, a Trump supporting, still believing the Trump propaganda Republican, I have I question your mental your mental state. I really do. Yeah, I agree with that. I do. So, Johnny, what you been doing this week? So, unfortunately, my father decided that he wanted to visit the hospital a couple times this week. So, I'm just let me tell you something. This week has given me a renewed. I mean, 2020 did this too. And the fact that we're living in a pandemic has done this too. But this particular week has given me a renewed sense of what's really important in life, right? Like, you know, all of this stuff where, I mean, even talking to you and what you were going through, it's like, you know what? All of this like material stuff that we work really hard to attain is really not that important. It's not right. What's really important is like life, health and strength, right? Like the old people used to say, I thank the Lord for my life, health and reasonable portion of strength. And to be very honest with you, that's exactly where I am this week. You know, my father's health scares were like terrifying, right? Like pick up the phone call 911 kind of scary, right? So <sighs> I'm just grateful that he's okay. Um, and I'm really grateful to my husband because 
my husband is probably one of the calmest people that I know. And in these kinds of situations, he's just like super level headed and like, let's just do what we need to do, Janine. And he acts very quickly and I'm just really appreciative to, to him. So this week has given me a renewed sense of like, love the people that you love and let them know that you love them and don't sweat the small stuff. Cause 90% of the stuff that we worry about is just that it's small and unimportant and shout out to Ken I mean I feel like you definitely need calm in the middle of a storm and I don't don't think enough people understand that like if you're in the middle of a storm you can't be a storm (laughs) you can't come (laughs) in like yelling and freaking out because everything else around you is freaking out like you have to be level-headed and just go with it like some things you just have to go with and figure it out later just Handle business. And you're like that too, though, Nicole. You're like that. You're very like, let's, let's analyze this. It'll be fine. We're going to like figure out what we're going to do, put together a plan. No need to panic. So that calm helps me, helps people like me. It always makes me feel better in these kinds of situations after I speak with you because you're like, oh, this is simple. And you explain it to me in, you know, layman's terms so that I can understand it. And then I'm like, okay, I feel better. It doesn't sound like such a, you know, a huge thing. Well, I'm glad that your dad is okay. I mean, because that is, it's just so stressful when anybody that you love is like not well because you're always trying to figure out like why are they not well like what's going on with them why are they not well and for your dad it's you know that's your dad so I I just you know so I know that it's it's anxiety provoking just because it's your dad be calm when it's your dad, it's your family member. Mm-hmm. Like when my grandmother was here and my grandmother was like falling and demanding still to go back to her house. My mom was like, well, she can go back home. I mean, she can go back home. We could just check on her. I'm like, okay, no. How is she going to live by herself? If she is falling, if no one is there to pick her up, she could be on the ground all night. So it almost takes like somebody that's semi close enough to tell you about how you're not making sense mm-hmm. um, to actually make sense because it, my mom was just like not really thinking. And I was like, okay, she's going to need long-term help. Like she is going to need, because it's hard for people to get older in front of you. Correct. You know? I understand that a hundred percent. Yeah. And, yeah. and see, that's something like, that- she can do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, she cannot do X, Y, right. and Z anymore. <laughs> and I think that we should do an episode about that, Nicole, because I think that, you know, as, as younger people, I don't think that we're often as cognizant as what it's like for that's getting older to get older. Yeah. But also I think because they're fighting getting older, they don't always think as rationally as you, you know, as they should, as you said. So I feel like, you know, maybe that's something that we talk about. About because the truth of the matter is, you know, around our age is when we have to start worrying about our kids and our parents at the same time. But it's frustrating when you're trying to get your point across and they're trying to get their point across and everyone has a rationale for their point. But those yeah. points do not agree. So I think we should do an episode on that in the future. We should talk about that. All right, Janine. So what's on your timeline this week? February is Teen Domestic Violence Month. Ironically, one of the the stories that was heavy on the timeline was FKA Twigs suing Shia LaBluff because of relentless abuse. So this isn't necessarily a teen domestic violence story, but I want you to go with me while I kind of like weave to where this all started. And you'll see why I um, selected this particular story from my timeline. 
So let me start off by explaining exactly what the definition of teen domestic violence is. So teen domestic violence is violence or a threat of violence towards a romantic partner or a household member that is a teenager. Um, the threats can involve either physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, um, or threats of any of the, the above. Teens can experience violence from either a partner or someone that they're dating or seeing or a family member. This week, FKA Twigs, who is a British singer and songwriter, you may not know her, but she's also an actress. She sat down with Gail King to talk about the lawsuit that she filed on Transformers star Shia Bluff. If anyone remembers from Disney Channel, is also even Steven. His ex-girlfriend, Carolyn Foe, and... FKA Twigs filed this lawsuit citing relentless abuse and sexual battery. Now, when FKA Twigs sat down with Gail King, she said that he would do things like force her to sleep naked because if she wasn't sleeping naked, she was somehow keeping herself from him. And she would he would accuse her of all kinds of things that were baseless accusations. And he would even, you know, say demeaning things to her, like call her vile and disgusting. Um, since the interview, another one of Shia LaBeouf's girlfriends came out and supported FKA Twigs, posting her L magazine cover, which is she's on the cover of L magazine this month. And it was posted with a simple caption that says, thank you, which I think most of us that read the caption took it to mean thank you for speaking out because somehow she might not have had the strength to speak out against this. So Twigs goes on to say in the interview that the progression of this was very subtle. It would There were little steps that she would see, but she never actually put all the pieces together to expose exactly who he really was. So I must say that um, Shia Bluff did respond back in December when the lawsuit was initially filed um, in an email actually to the Times and said, many of these allegations aren't true. He said many. He did not say all. Many of these allegations are not true. But he also goes on to say that I am not in any position to tell anyone how my behavior made them feel. I have no excuses for my alcoholism or aggression, only rationalizations. He says, I have been abusive to myself and everyone around me for years. I have a history of hurting people that are closest to me, and I am ashamed of that history. I'm sorry to those that I hurt. So since then, though, LeBluff's lawyers have since responded saying that he denies generally and specifically each and every allegation. Of course, that's what lawyers are supposed to say. So you ask, what does this have to do with teen domestic violence, right? Let me take you back a bit. How did Shia Bluff and FKA Twigs become romantic? So back in 2018, a movie came out. That movie was called Honey Boy. Honey Boy is a semi-autobiographical film about Shia Bluff's life that he wrote while he was in rehab. And it's based on his abusive relationship with his father. The film documents the young actor's abuse throughout his late childhood and early adulthood. People often think of teen domestic violence as two teens abusing one another. But teen domestic violence, as I stated earlier, also comes in the form of a family member abusing a teen. And in this particular case, as it is displayed in Honey Boy, Shia Bluff was abused in his real life by his alcoholic abusive father. 
The second important thing that I want to point out is that so you often see abuse as a single isolated incident or a series of incidents in one particular relationship between two people. But this particular story points out how abuse can be systemic. And in this particular case, Shia LaBeouf was abused and subsequently then perpetuated that exact same abuse in a different relationship. So I think that's something important to be mindful of often. And again, not to in any way take the onus off of the person that is doing the abuse, but often abusers have actually been abused themselves. So of course I can't tell the story without saying if you or someone that you know is experiencing teen domestic violence or just domestic violence, period, please call 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 1-800-799-7233. Now, if you are not in a position where you can make a phone call and have that conversation, you can also go on to thehotline.org. It does not show up as domestic violence or anything of that nature. It shows up in your history as thehotline.org. And I think that we've mentioned this on the show before and you can live chat for help. That story is just echoes in so many families. Um, and I think that a lot of people that have been abused, whether that's mentally, physically, sexually in the past, even stemming from high school, go on to either experience abuse in their relationships in the future or be abusers because that's what they're familiar with. And they're more likely to stay in an abusive relationship if they've been abused in the past, or even if they weren't abused, if they witnessed their family member abused, they're more likely to stay in an abusive relationship. So I do think it's important to highlight abuse at the level of high school and middle school even so that we can get our teens out of this situation uh, mentally healthier so that they don't go on to become abusers or in an abusive relationship. So to help us talk about um, domestic abuse um, further, we have a very special guest with us today, and that is Miss Tiger McClendon. Miss Tiger McClendon is the founder of the Zolly McClendon Memorial Foundation, a foundation which was started in 2012 after her family experienced a monumental loss as a result of domestic violence. In addition to the foundation, Miss McClendon is a graduate of John Carroll University and uses her skills full time through her work as an educator and mentor to hundreds of youths. Tiger, welcome to the podcast. Hi, ladies. Thank you for having me. Yay. Thank you so much for being here. We're excited um, to have you join the conversation. Awesome. I'm excited to be here to join the conversation. So, Tiger, um, I'm going to let you start off by explaining like I know. So for those of you who don't know, Tiger is my cousin. And I've mentioned her before on this podcast during our last domestic violence episode. So as opposed to me continuing to like mention her, I decided to bring her on the podcast. Right. So, Tiger, explain why um, you started the Zolly McClendon uh, Memorial Foundation. So as Nicole stated, back in 2012, we experienced a monumental loss. I had a cousin. Her name is Nakisha Jackson. She was killed in a domestic violence situation. She was killed. Her daughter was killed. And the guy who killed them both, which was her ex-boyfriend and the ch father of the child, killed himself as well. The reason why I relate this to teen domestic violence is because they met each other when they were around 14. So this is a relationship that started when they were 14 and it moved forward into adulthood. Now, when she was killed, she was 22. The baby was six. 
And I just think that these young girls, they get into these relationships and they're young. So, you know, teenagers have a wrong answer for everything. So if they don't necessarily have someone trying to tell them or guide them through situations, and even if they do have someone trying to guide them through situations, they, you know, sometimes they might tend to make mistakes for whatever reason. So she decided to stay with this guy. And actually, you know, I met him. I'm not going to necessarily say when I met him, I had a bad vibe, but I met him when he was a teenager. He went to jail. He came home from jail. She had the baby right after she had the baby. He went to jail. He came home from jail and they both were in two separate relationships. But I guess old feelings came up and I guess they tried to work it out. It didn't necessarily work out. So in on one particular night, he came over to her home. She was living with someone at the time. He came over to her home and he asked her to step outside. He shot her. He came in the house. He retrieved their child. He shot the child in front of her. Then he shot my cousin and then he killed himself. So now we have three people who are no longer with us. And I felt like all of this could have been avoided. One, had he had somebody to talk to because he was struggling. And a lot of people want to, you know, say that he's the devil. But in my working in the community, people don't want to realize when people try to reach out to help. You know, we in the black community, we don't believe in therapy. So when people tell us or tell their friends and people around them, oh, I'm struggling, they tell you, get over it, go to church or, you know, whatever. So nobody's listening because it was so many people like, man, you know, he did try to reach out. He did try to connect and no one tried to help him. So now we have this end result. I felt like if somebody would have extended an olive branch to him, everybody would be alive. Wow. So, oh my God, I'm so sorry that your family had to go through that. Um, that is, I, 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 that's just unimaginable. I know you said you mentor a lot of um, students. Do you specifically do mentorship with high school girls, like around your cousin's age? Um, or are you specifically focused on domestic violence and teen domestic violence now? So surprise. So I do work specifically with high school age girls. Um, but surprisingly enough, there is so much emotional trauma and abuse that goes on in the high school. I wasn't aware of that. Like when I was going out, when I was in high school, I didn't see, I didn't see it, but I, I think I just didn't know what we were looking at. So, you know, growing up, you would always hear like the guys are kicking game, like the guys are, you know, whatever it is. But now that I'm older, I'm realizing those are the beginnings of a little narcissist. Mm-hmm. Those are the beginnings <laughs> of manipulative ways and how they try to manipulate these girls into believing whatever it is that they're saying to get whatever it is they want or to you know, make them believe whatever it is they need them to believe to keep them where they want them to stay. So I, you know, when I pick my girls in my girls group, I I think the spirit literally leads me to these girls because I've had a good seven or eight girls in domestic violence abuse relationships while I was mentoring them. So just trying to push through all of those situations is rough. I'm going to give you an example. I had a young lady she had a graduate. She just actually graduated in 2020 with a 3.56 GPA. The whole time I've known her, she wanted to be a dentist. So Janine and I actually have a cousin that graduated number one in, um, from her dental school. So I'm like, great, you can meet my cousin. You know, she can help mentor you. Um, so that was her ninth, 10th, and 11th grade year. She wanted to be a dentist. We get to her senior year. I said, hey, we need to start getting ready to apply for colleges. You know, what are we going to do? She tells me, oh, no, I'm going to be a dental assistant. She didn't drop down to a dental 
hygienist. She dropped down from a dentist to a dental assistant. She doesn't want to go to school. She wants to stay here. So I do my best to try to get her to go to college. I filled out an application. I sent it in for her anyway, and she was accepted. She wanted to stay here with a boy. This boy was abusive. He calls her fat. He calls her ugly. Mind you, he probably doesn't even have a 2.0. She has a 3.56. She graduated number 11 in her class. And she, he just, he hits her. He talks down to her. He drags her. Um, it's just so many times where she's called me on the phone and she said, Miss McClendon, I'm tired of him putting his hands on me. And I, with tears in my eyes, I've had to tell her, no, you're not because you keep going back. And, you're, right. and, and there's nothing that I can do to make you see that you are beautiful, you're smart and intelligent, and you deserve more than this. So that's just one situation, and I have some that get worse. So it's, it's, you know, getting these young ladies to see the value in themselves when I feel like they don't necessarily get it from other places, or somebody is just really not placing in them, you're smart, you're valuable. You don't need to have somebody in your life to validate you. And that's really what we have to do because social media tells you a lot. Mm -hmm. Social media makes everything, relationship goals, you know, people, uh, you know, they, they glamorize that when people are in dom domestic violence situations or they make excuses for people that are celebrities when they come up and they have domestic violence situations and they make excuses so the girls think that it's okay because they think that struggle is a part of love and it shouldn't have to be. But I think that we are taught that. Yeah. So are the parents absent in these situations? Like, where's the parents? Because I, I hear you say well, she's calling you and telling you she's tired of being in this domestic situation. You're like, no, no, you're not because you, you keep going back. Where are the parents? I, I remember when I was in high school, I wasn't in what I would think was an abusive situation, but talking to a friend of mine from high school last night, I was like, you remember that guy I used to date? He used to want me to wear shorts under my dresses and he wanted me to come over his house every single day at a certain time. And I was like, what? I mean, thinking back, that was a controlling situation. And that's pretty much the first parts of first signs that you're in something that's abusive. Somebody's narcissistic enough to think they can control you to wear what they want you to wear. But I remember I did not want to tell my mom about that because she would have lost it. So I'm sitting here listening to you tell, tell us that this student is calling you saying she's tired of the situation. If I would have called my mom and told my mom somebody was putting their hands on me, like that person would be probably dead. Six feet under. You're yeah, 100 I mean, correct. So where where are the parents in this situation? Are you ready for this, Nicole? <laughs> I'm ready. Brace yourself. I'm bracing. Mom is okay with the relationship. Mom lets him come over to the house. Mom cooks him dinner. Mom, mom can't know about this abuse, though. Mom cannot mom, know. Mom, mom has had to come up to the school and have conferences with the boy's mother about the abuse. So they were going to suspend them both. And I don't want to make the assumption that this mother is young. She's not. But I would like to say that this is a perfect example of why some people just shouldn't have children. And I just feel like like the system is failing her at its core. The people that are supposed to protect you before anybody else protects you are your parents, the people yeah. that gave you life. So the fact that she does not have that support system, as a matter of fact, not only does she not have the support system, they're supporting the abuser, essentially. That's devastating. I mean, it, and thankfully, thankfully, she met you. But it's like, what do what do 
teens do when their family is not there to support them and they are getting abused? What do they do? So let me say this, what I've, what I've noticed. So I've worked with two separate types of communities. So this particular community is, is the high school that's in the middle of a, a housing project. And then I've also worked with kids in the suburbs. So we have two different parental involvement in these situations. So this situation is from a young lady in the housing project. Not to say that her mother wasn't there. She's not a, a young mom. She had her at 30. But um, but she she has two other kids. So she's, um, she had this particular child later on in life. So she had two siblings way older than her. Okay. Um, but you, I think that, I, I think that in those communities, they have normalized things that you just never would think should be normal. They normalize in those communities smoking with your parents. They normalize having sex parties or having sex in the house with your parents and, and they don't care. Mm. They normalize um, incest. Rape, and when I say rape, I'm talking about these grown men who are 30 and 40 years old hitting on these teenagers when they're coming out of the high school. Mm-hmm. All of this is normalized, and because you have generations living in these communities in poverty, and this is what they experience, nobody thinks it's abnormal. So when I'm saying that is not normal, mm-hmm. people are like, "Oh, she just bougie and stuck up." When that's not, in fact, that is just not normal. Whereas my kids in the suburbs, I'm not going to say they were without their issues because they had a bunch of them too, but I still had the parents who understood they were not okay with the foolishness. Right. But I think that it goes back to something that you said earlier. And I don't think that it's, um, while I do, I'm sure that there is a difference between the housing projects and um, the suburbs. I think that one of the issues that we have in the African-American community is something that you brought up earlier. And it's, we, for whatever reason, have this stigma about therapy. And we've talked about it on this podcast time and time again. But and we even had an episode called You Can Have Jesus Therapist at the Same Time. Like, it's OK to pray about it and to ask God to help you about it. And we believe that you should. But you can also go to a therapist. And it's not just in the housing projects, though, right? Yeah. Um, and I do think that it's more than the socioeconomic lines. I mean, because I, having been someone that was in the projects before when I was younger, my mom still didn't play that. And I know that there were a lot of students that were very affluent, or at least looking back, they were the people that were in the higher class and they were doing some more foolishness than, than anybody. In the projects we're doing, I mean, getting drunk, their parents were buying alcohol for, you know, everybody at this party and we could stay at their houses until like three or four in the morning. I couldn't because my mama said I had to be home at nine at nine p.m. during the week and I had to be home by eleven thirty during the weekend. But everybody else that could stay could stay. And I will say this. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You could give structure to your child. Regardless, setting standards, making sure that they understand their their importance and their own value, setting guidelines in terms of chores and times that you need to come in, making sure you meet their their the friends they have like these. That is standards and structure like that's super important to have. Now, Tiger, at this point of the show, some of our listeners have wrote into us, send us DMs and ask us for advice. And so we usually pull those that are related to the topic so that we can then give them advice. And we want your help today um, with some of these scenarios that have been sent in to us. OK, this one is interesting. It says, hi, ladies. 
I'm writing in about my daughter. My daughter is a sophomore in high school, and she's seeing a young man that goes to our church. We've known him since he and his mother joined the church when he was a baby. He seems to be a good kid, but there are some things that concern me. The first thing is that he always seems to be at our house. I feel like he only goes home to sleep. He seems to be the kind that is manhandling my daughter a bit. He hasn't hit her to my knowledge, but he does often pull on her or shake her when he's speaking to her to try to get his point across. I brought this up to my husband, but he didn't seem to think that anything was amiss. And he said that he would keep an eye on it. As I said, I don't think that he hits her, but the way that he speaks to her often seems a bit aggressive and sometimes demeaning. I feel like our daughter would come to us if she felt unsafe, but she grew up in a peaceful, loving two-parent household, so I'm not sure that she would even recognize signs of abuse. My question is, how can I do a relationship welfare check with my daughter without making things awkward or appearing to be a helicopter mom? Thanks in advance for your advice, Lois. Helicopter mom. Hmm. Um, I would say when it don't smell right, it ain't right. And if this person is at your house all the time, then you know it's not right. Like you don't have to go to your husband to ask him if it's right or not. And it's so surprising that the husband, I wonder if that's like her stepdad or if that's her dad, dad, because our biological dad. Because I, I can't even imagine, even if, so my dad passed away when I was 10, but even if my uncles thought I was being abused, like that person would have hell to pay. Like even the thought of it would be at least a conversation to say, hey, are, are you, have you lost it? If you treat my niece this way, you're going to have hell to pay. So I'm surprised that the dad's just like, oh, no, it's fine. No, if somebody's putting your hands on your daughter and shaking them to get their attention, that's not right. Even grabbing your daughter's arm when she walks away, like that is not right. I would want to know more so about why is he spending so much time at your house? Like what's going on over there at his house? Is he in an abusive situation that he's fleeing from and he doesn't want to be at a home because maybe somebody's putting this, their hands on him or is he witnessing his parents fighting? I would want to know more about that. Um, and I would actually talk to him first if you think that your daughter is not going to receive it well. And I would just have a conversation like, hey, what's your household like? And, and go from there. And then depending on what his reaction would be, would tell me how I would need to act, react next. But I would want to find more information out first. So there's so many things wrong in this scenario. So she's saying that he's putting her, he's shaking her and grabbing her. So that means you've witnessed it. Right. One, why have you not checked that when you first saw that? So when you saw him do that, you should have checked him right then and there. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. First of all, you in my house. Take your hands off my daughter. After that happened, it really shouldn't have been no more. He's allowed back in your house. Now, here's where, here's the caveat. Here's where you can run into some problems. He can't come back over anymore. Daughter still wants to see him. Once you checked it the first time though, and sent him home, cause he would have had to go home. Now we have to sit down and I'm going to have to have a talk with my daughter. How many times has he does, done this? Um, 
why do you think this is okay? This is why it is not okay. I don't understand how we even got past, she even got to her husband if she witnessed the abuse herself. And dad ain't no type of man because if dad witnessed it too, why are you not yanking up little boy and throwing him out the house like Uncle Phil did Chaz? Yeah, I don't I understand Yeah, that I don't understand. Yeah, I get it. I definitely didn't understand. I completely agree with you. But I do think um, something that you said, Tiger, is you do have to tread lightly here. Because if you have a daughter that's going to get mad at you and now she's going to go over to his house um, because he's not allowed over there, you got to tread lightly there because you could be pushing your daughter away even further into an abusive situation just because you come in like a bulldog. So I completely agree. If she witnessed this firsthand, she should have said something firsthand instead of waiting for her husband to validate her thoughts. I completely agree with that. I completely agree that she should talk to her daughter, but I do think that she should talk to this boy as well and or talk and talk to his parents as well. Like this is what your child is doing. And the next time he does it, I'm going to have him locked up. I'm calling the police because I cannot witness him put his hands on my daughter and not say anything in the future. There's something going on at this boy's house and he is probably acting out. And so definitely you have to get to him before or not really before, but at the same time of trying to talk to your daughter and that situation can turn into a lifelong situation for your daughter if you don't step in now. If she starts to pull away and you don't reel her in now to show her what support looks like, um, it could be, it can have devastating long-term consequences. So um, yes, shaking is abuse. Yelling is abuse. Belittling is abuse. All of those things are abuse. You don't have to get any validation from anywhere else. You don't have to get validated from your husband. You don't have to wait for him to step in and be savior here. It's abuse. And so you need to step in and that's whether you need to step in and take legal action, but you do need to at least step in and figure out what's going on in his house. And you also need to step in and and talk to your daughter. And who knows how long what your daughter's actually been suffering with when you're not around. So your daughter might need counseling. Your daughter may need to seek help elsewhere to make sure that she is okay and to make sure that she feels um, supported. So my scenario is an adult scenario, but I think that it's still privy to this topic because it can show you what this can turn into. So um, my uh, listener writes, ladies, I'm writing because my wife, who is my high school sweetheart, has an anger issue and she listens to you guys. So I hope that your advice will help. Um, my wife and uh, is the mother of my child um, and she's always had an anger problem since we met. Um, she was a cheerleader in high school. I was a football player. To add insult to injury, in addition to her anger, she has cheated on me at least twice. The last time I know about was three months ago. At that time, she came in at 3 a.m. I asked her where she had been so late since nothing was open this late due to the pandemic. She told me um, she was with her friends. When I tried to probe further, she cursed me out and walked away from me. I knew she had been drinking, so I didn't push the issue. The next morning, I woke up to find her already out of bed. 
She had made um, breakfast for the kids and mimosas for her and her sister who was headed that way. I calmly asked again where she had been. She told me she feels like a prisoner due to the questions and told me she wished I was dead and slapped me. Knowing I should remove myself from the situation, I went for my keys to leave and she pushed me and stood in front of the door, initially refusing to leave. When I turned to go to the front instead, she ran to grab a knife. Seeing her with the knife, I dodged her attempts to stab me, grabbed her wrist and squeezed until she dropped the knife. I pinned her to the ground until she was calm. Once her sister arrived, though, she started screaming. Her sister threatened to call the police, so I left. Now my wife wants me back. I've been out of the house now since that time, but in our counseling sessions, I've been encouraged to try to keep an open mind. I love my wife. But when she drinks, she gets angry. She claims she has changed. She has not had a drink in three months and is extremely nice to me. The kids are heartbroken. Do you think someone could genuinely change? Please give your advice. So this is the flip side. I actually love that you brought this in because this is a flip. This is the woman being an abuser. But that is a class. What she did, one, is a classic narcissist. She tried. She flipped it on him and then gaslighted him. I feel like a prisoner just because he asked you a simple question. Where have you been? Um, again, even though she is an adult, that behavior, that's a learned behavior. So she probably saw that herself growing up in the home. So she feels like it's okay. Can someone change? Yeah, but the person who changes has to change because they want to change. And I think it's more so not about, I mean, yes, they can go to counseling together, but she needs her own separate counseling because she has some deep-seated issues that she's clearly not aware of because, one, why is she drinking like that to get to Because if you're drinking and you get angry, then that means you're drinking to get drunk. So that's an issue right there. So there are all type of issues going on there. She could change if she wanted to change. Do I think she changed in a three-month period? No. I think he needs to step back. I think he needs to still evaluate the situation, let her get to know herself better and love herself better and figure out what her issues are. Then they can revisit it. And I don't know how old the children are, but at some point in time, he's going to have to sit down with the children and explain in the best way he can to whatever age level those children are why he's no longer in the home. I think that, okay, so let me start with the children. I think that at this point, the children need to come first, right? And I don't think that the children need to be in a home with an alcoholic mother. Let's call it what it is, right? When you drink to medicate yourself and drink to the point of getting drunk and angry, you have an alcohol problem. You are an alcoholic. We do not want children in a situation where they're exposed to this abusive alcoholic behavior. It's just like the Shia LaBeouf story. We know where this ends. So the first priority in this situation needs to be the children. The second priority in this situation needs to be your safety. You have to think about it like this. What's going to happen to your children if she kills you Because she pulled a knife on you. Like, let's be real about this. This wasn't a little bit of abuse. She pulled a knife to try to kill you. If she kills you and now she's in jail, now who's raising your kids? Like, I get it. And, you know, I understand that it's probably harder because, you know, the male ego does not really allow you to say, you know, you're being abused or you're, you know, your wife is putting you in a vulnerable situation. That's not really, that ain't really cool and masculine, right? Right. But we're past that point here. 
We are past that point. You are not in a safe situation. And yeah, do I think that people can change? Absolutely. A hundred percent. People are able to change, but it takes work and it's not, you know, three months of work. It's go to rehab because, you know, at three months of not having a drink, you're just a dry drunk. You're not a recovering alcoholic. Your wife needs to work the steps. She needs to go and recover for herself. And then, as Tiger said, go to therapy on her own while you all are going to couples therapy. But I think that you all need some time apart. And yeah, if she changes and has proven to herself and you that she's okay and she's better and she's recovering, then yes, maybe you if you're available, you revisit this. But I don't I don't think that you should stay in this situation because it does not end well. It just does not end well. And just because you're a man does not make you exempt from being killed by your spouse. What I want to know is this is your high school sweetheart and she's always had an anger issue. What is going on with you that you asked this woman to marry you with the anger issue? What kind of psychological mess have you been through that has normalized this behavior even before you got married as the man what made you accepting of this is what i want to know why would you knowingly get into this because and and maybe she asked you to marry to bury you maybe that was the case but usually typically the social norm is that the man is going to ask the woman to marry them. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that you had the kid before you got married and you, you felt obligated. But what about you made you okay staying in something like that for this long period of time? And I don't know how long you've been married, but you've at least been married since through high school, your high school sweethearts, through high school, you've been together. Now you have a child or children and you're still married. And it seems like she's cheated on you twice in addition to the abuse. There are like eons of reasons that you shouldn't be in that relationship. She's cheating. You should have left the first time. She cheated on you a second time. You should have left then. She's abusing you. You should have left then. She has anger issues. Why you marry her? I mean, there's so much going on there that I want you to seek help to figure out why you don't value your own self. Why are you putting up with this? What in there is making you dependent on this relationship? Because there's nothing in there that should tell you to stay. And what kind of counselor are you going to that's telling you to go back into harm's way after you've left? Somebody that's pulled a knife on you and told you they want you dead. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. And if she's saying that she wants you dead and she's pulling a knife on you, to show you that she wants you dead, then why would a counselor tell you to go back into the home to try to work it out, to keep an open mind? That doesn't make any sense from a professional standpoint. I would never tell my patients to go back in somewhere that is not safe. So who is your counselor? I'm just, I'm confused about the whole situation. And, you know, he probably thinks, oh, well, she's just threatening. She wasn't really going to stab me. She wasn't really going to do. But once she has a couple drinks at night with her friends one night, who knows how she feels and what kind of rage she's going to be in when you're in the bed asleep. You cannot put, you cannot belittle the fact that this woman is threatening to kill you. You cannot belittle that she's 
pulled out a, a knife. You can't make the assumption that she's changed and she won't do something when she's under the influence because people are uninhibited when they are under the influence of alcohol. And she hasn't drank in three months. Okay, well, let's see what happens when a major holiday comes up the next time. Let's see what happens when you are around her and after you take her back. Let's see what happens then. Because I don't hear you saying anything about her getting any major help, like Janine said. Like, is she doing the steps? And even if she was doing the steps, I would still argue that you need to remove yourself from that situation. Just call show and tell. And after three months, this is not show and tell. Like, let's give this some time. And if she does the work and if you still have feelings and you haven't moved on to something so much better, that's not abusive. Then if you want to work it out, okay. I would still say run away. That's what I would say. Stay away. I agree. Go run and don't look back until you have a reason to. Right. Take your kids out of the situation. You don't know what they're doing. She's going to do to them. She's going to get angry when she finds out you're not going to come back. That's probably going to drive her to drink again. And how are her kids going to handle that situation? Is she going to start abusing the children? And I would argue that the children need counseling as well because they've witnessed the cycle of abuse. That's true. So I I just want to say, as far as, I don't know what state they're in, but I do know here in Ohio, it is so hard for the father to get custody of kids. Like in Ohio, you basically have, you can be on crack and they're still going to let the mother keep the kid because they feel like, you know, the best place is with the mother and they're going to do whatever they can to help the mother get help or whatever to be able to keep the kids as far as maybe putting someone in the house or whatever. But it is so hard for fathers to get a uh, right. Now, if they're in a paternal state where they favor the father, he's good. But Getting kids out of a home, is because she sounds like she's not going to make that easy. That's not going to be, I'm going to get my kids and I'm just gone. That is not going to be the situation. My concern is I don't necessarily know how mentally unstable she is, that she might do something to the kid. And then we might have a situation where we have, uh, what's that movie for colored girls only? And we have a situation like that. That is my only concern when we have kids involved. So as Nicole said, the kids really are the most important thing in this situation because essentially we have a a person that's an, an abuse, a substance abuser uh, and mentally unstable. But you know what, Tiger? The good thing, even if he's in the state of Ohio or one of these other states that don't value dad stepping up, unfortunately, is that they've gone to counseling. So now they have some documentation that says that she has a drinking problem. They have the documentation from a professional. And I would have my lawyer subpoena those records and I would turn them in and I would get some legal documentation to say that she was unfit. Because if you're in danger, if you have somebody that's admitted to a licensed professional that they had a behavior problem, they were angry and they used to drink and they admittedly pulled a knife out on you. If that's all documented, then he shouldn't have a problem. I wish somebody would. Nicole, what did you learn this week? (laughs) So um, I learned a couple of things. One, that 99% of cases of domestic abuse also have uh, financial abuse involved. So that is one reason that a lot of women... um, 
don't leave situation. So we say, well, why did you stay? Girl, why did you stay? Why did you leave? Well, because he's controlling the finances. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can just go get a hotel room. So that is uh, one thing that I learned, which I thought was like completely sad. And the other thing that I learned, because you know I have a son, so I'm very much so worried about him being in a violent situation. Um, but when we come to teen violence, one in 15 male high school students have been involved in a physically violent relationship with a woman or female student being the abuser. Oh God. Those, those numbers are just so uh, like staggering. Like that is. So something that I learned are a few typical signs that teens are experiencing domestic violence at home. So Irritability is a sign. Frequent fights or aggression towards others is a sign that they're experiencing domestic violence at home. Treating pets with cruelty. So young people that don't have compassion for animals and or abuse animals, that's a sign that they're being um, abused at home. Gaining attention with aggression um, and involvement in violent, intimate relationships. So oftentimes those who are involved in violent, intimate relationships have also experienced domestic violence at home. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Can you tell people how they can follow you, reach you, um, find you on social media? So on social media, I am Z as in Zali, M as in McClendon, M as in Memorial, F as in Foundation CEO, so Z-M-M-F CEO. The Facebook page is where we put the majority. So we are the Zali McClendon Memorial Foundation. That is the actual organization site. We don't actually have a domain, so we use the Facebook page as our site to put everything that we have going on. So if you want to see the different programs we run and the different activities we have going on, you can mosey on over to Facebook and pull up the Zali McClendon Memorial Foundation. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing in the community, um, supporting these girls. And, um, you know, let us know how we can help, how we can uplift you and partner with you in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Don't forget to listen, subscribe and rate us. We love the comments on Apple Podcasts, so don't forget to leave them. And now you can log on to Oh, That's Deep, BWC.com. And join the conversation by leaving us a voice message. You can tell us what's on your timeline or give us a scenario for Let's Talk Through It. All you have to do is log on to oh, that's deep, bwc.com and click voice memo. Ready for the motivational moment? Yes, ma'am. All right. So the motivational moment this week comes from Ricky Rogers, who said, strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you once thought you couldn't do. So be strategic. Take steps to put yourself in a better situation. You can do it and you can get out. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. 
You can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.